I have a message called Intention Impact. Terry said, what in the world does that mean? Well, it means if we do things with intention, there's an impact, positively or negatively. But what intention are we using as we live life? And, you know, I did a series a long time ago called Intentional Living. And that was, I thought, I kind of got blessed by that personally. You know? It kind of helped me to refocus on what we need to do. You know, we need to have intentional thoughts, intentional actions, intentional choices, and all of that. But that's not what I'm really going on, working on today. I really want to think about the church being intentional. The church being intentional. And sometimes we, you know, we can, have you heard the story about the frog in the water and you put the frog in the water and you start, you slowly turn up the temperature and you slowly turn up the temperature and he's not noticing the change because the change is so subtle until he boils to death. And I think that's kind of where we are in our nation. I think that's kind of where we are with our our church culture, so to speak. But the word intention, it means uh, simply purpose or the intent of doing something is motivation, It's motivation. And we know that intentions can be good or bad, right? Can be good or bad. Paul said in 1 Corinthians nine twenty six, he says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. In other words, I have, I have a lot of intention in what I'm doing. Do we intentionally pray? You know, when we come together as a church for prayer, I like to have, I like to be targeted. I like to have intentionality about it. We're coming in here with a purpose. When we come to church, you know, we say, well, we don't really have a plan, but we do have a plan. Our plan is to let the Holy Spirit lead our service. That's our plan. It's not to get up here and babble around and, you know, run around and just aimlessly just come together. We don't do that. But we do get the feeling of the Spirit. I was telling the church last night, we had a powerful prayer time last night. And and I, I said, you know, I just want to get the mood of the Spirit. And, you know, and as we get the mood of the Spirit, He leads us and directs us into the, what He's wanting to accomplish in our, in our service, in our time together. I love what Miles Monroe said. He said, the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but a life without purpose. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, but a life that's lived without purpose. Most people die with their music still in them. I had that conversation with a young man who's all hooked on drug addiction this week. He said he loves music. I said, it's not too late. I think he's maybe 35 or 40 or something. I don't know. I said, it's not too late. But see, the world tells you, you know, you didn't follow this pattern, so therefore you might as well give up. So he spends the rest of his life, as Ben Franklin said, we live six, we die at 25, but we're not buried till we're 65. Most people die at an early age, but they're not buried until they're much older. So several years ago, and some of you may remember this, the Lord spoke very clearly in my spirit, and he said something that was a little bit shocking. He said, bad culture can be created with the best of intention. Bad culture can be created with the best of intention. And he was speaking specifically of church culture. Bad culture. So we can be rightly motivated, have the best intentions, and have disaster. Right? Right? We can be rightly motivated. You know, we kind of, last week we kind of laughed about this on Monday. You know, we kind of got all miscombobulated about our food thing. We had great intentions, but we realized we hadn't communicated. So what happened is, you know, we had a little bit of a, a just a little bit of a mess there, but it all worked out, didn't it? But we had great intentions with all of this, but because we didn't communicate, because we didn't have the plan in place that we thought we had, everybody had, we had like three plans going. You know, and whoever had the mic was controlling the plan. So it was kind of ended up being kind of funny, but it, was, it really worked out okay. But what did we do? I, and I told the staff, I said, the lesson we learned is far greater than our cost. 
what lesson did we learn? We need to communicate more clearly. We, you know, we need to make sure everybody's on the same page. So that was a valuable lesson for us to learn. But, you know, you can intend to have a happy marriage, but if you don't know the right process, it can end in disaster. And who pays the price? Certainly the children. Children pay the price. And, you know, we, and they suffer, we suffer. We, we talk to people all the time. We minister to people all of the time who had struggles in their marriage, breakups, domestic violence. They're struggling financially. They're living homeless simply because they had a great... Nobody gets married thinking, I'm just going to ruin this relationship. But we get married and we don't, we don't follow the right plan and we end up with disaster rather than what we had anticipated. And, you know, we've even been taught in church, and I heard someone say this just recently... Well, God loves you just the way you are. Well, if you've been in this church long enough, you know God loves you regardless, but He doesn't want to leave you just the way you are. If He wants to leave you the way you are, He would have to apologize to Jesus for hanging on the cross. God loves us, but He He made relationship with Himself available so we no longer have to be victims. And and it's and it's what you were were talking about, Brenda. You know, the devil can sometimes again he'll camp on our property, but we don't have to let him stay there. God has made it availability and power and authority in our lives so we can take authority over that situation. And we don't have to allow ourselves to suffer at the hand of the enemy. But see, if we've been taught, well, that's just the way it's going to be and you just have to deal with it and that's the way life is. Oh, woe is me, victim mentality. And we can die and go to heaven and live 70, 80 years miserably. And that's not God's plan. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I think Jesus wants us to be happy. But the only way we're going to find happiness is in relationship with him. The only true way to happiness is in relationship with him. So Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You know, this little dog, I, you know, we love dogs, so this little dog is bringing his master. Look what I found, you know. <laughs> and what happens? Kapow. And that's what happens in our life. And you, we've also have a, uh, we've heard that it says, The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And we know that is true, right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. One of the greatest good intention fiascos in the church world today, I believe, in my lifetime, has been the seeker-sensitive movement. And even the founders of that have gone back and they have apologized and they have said it was a mess, we did it wrong. What we did is what they tried to do was try to appeal to to the lost to get them into the church because the presence of God just wasn't enough. So what do we do? We, we, you know, we, we turn our sanctuaries into, into Starbucks coffee shops. And there's nothing wrong with any of this. I'm not, I mean, there's nothing wrong with drinking coffee is what I'm saying. But when is God not enough? When is the power and presence of God not enough? So what do we do? We try to, bring, we try to uh, trap people or entice people with, with these things that we do. And we really never grow them up. And that's what Bill Hybel said. He said, what we have done is we've created a generation of people who are immature. And they think they're believers. And so we turn, we turn people, we, and we've turned the church into a culture that is powerless. It's powerless. And that's not the way. So how are we supposed to take our city if we're a powerless church or powerless culture? How can we change lives? How can you even change the life in our family if we're powerless? We can't, can we? So we can be sincere, but we can be sincerely wrong. And you know, even back in the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a pastor named Henry Emerson Fodsdick. 
And this is where all this movement started. It didn't just start in 1985 or whenever it started. But this is what he said. He said that the people of, of this generation are no longer interested in an outdated word that the apostles taught. He said we have, to, we have to bring things to them that's going to make them feel good about who they are. Well, there's no better way to feel good about who you are than to know who you are in Christ. So what we've done is we fed people junk food. We fed people inadequately, and we have an anemic church in most cases, in most cases. And, and what we found out was anything that was negative, so, viewed as negative, such as bearing our cross. We don't want to talk about that because that might scare people away. Or we might talk about, you know, we might talk about hell. Well, we don't want to talk about that because that might scare people away. Well, it's in the scripture, isn't it? It's in the Bible. Jesus says, if you don't bear my cross, you're not even worthy to be called my disciple. That's what his word says. We've even had pastors in the city said we have to dumb down our message on Sunday morning to attract the people. That's a shame. That's a shame. Some churches have said we don't do anything dealing with the Holy Spirit because it makes people uncomfortable. Well, he's a valid part of every, you know, he's, he's it. He, he is the valid part of what we do as a church and as a believer. So intentions are like blueprints in our life. How many's ever built a home? Did you start with the blueprints? Or just go ahead and hire the plumber to come in? No, you get a blueprint. You get someone to draw up the plans. You get a blueprint and put it in place. And, you know, Jesus came with, with great intentionality. And Jesus came with great purpose. And aren't we supposed to be doing the same work that he did? Just quickly, let's look at some of the reasons Jesus came. Just I've taught on this before. I'm just going to give you some scripture, three scriptures. Luke 4.43. Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns, for I was sent for this purpose. So he says, I, I came, but the purpose, the intention for me being here is that I might teach the kingdom of God. So as a church, as a believer, our message is the message of the kingdom. In 1 John 3, 8, it says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. See, when we were talking about sickness is not a work of God, is it? Addiction is not a work of God. Depression is not a work of God. Hopelessness is not a work of God. Jesus says, I came to do away with all that. Luke 4, 18 talks about, he said, the anointing is upon me to give good news to the poor. Open the eyes of the blind, to free the oppressed, to heal those who have been crushed by life. He said, that's the anointing that's upon me. That's the anointing that's upon our church. Any church, it should be, if you believe the word, right? So we should be out there destroying the works of the devil in the lives of people that God allows us to intersect with. Right? That's very important. We'll talk about that some other time. Ephesians 3, 9 and 10 tells, tells about the purpose of the church. It says, I, Paul, was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. So God's got this great plan. Paul says, I've been chosen to reveal it to you. And this is the plan. That he was going to use the church. Who is the church? We are the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the church is supposed to be revealing the wisdom of God. Now, there's a little bit of controversy with some of the commentators. Some believe it means angels. Some believe it means evil spirits. Some believe it means both. I personally think if the angels are sitting around the throne room of God, they probably have a lot of, know a lot of the wisdom of God. 
I think, I think personally, it probably has to do more with the powers and principalities that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 6. So we as a church are called to display God's wisdom to powers of darkness in our region, in our lives, in our, in our families, in our children. Wherever darkness is ruling and reigning, the wisdom of God is greater than that darkness. And we as a church have a right and have the responsibility to reveal this to these powers and principalities. But how can we do that if we do not know who we are? How can we do that? Dan, I want you to come, if you would. I want you to share what you shared with me last night about the creation. Would you do that? It was so beautiful what he, what he shared after prayer last night. I was looking up something as you were speaking, oh. so remind, give, me, give me a clue. The, sons, uh, you know, the earth is, is uh, groaning for the sons of... Uh, oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, Jesus was the son of God. Right? We get this. We understand this. Jesus walked on the earth as the son of God, and he did amazing, incredible things that you and I could not dream of doing. He, he healed the sick. He cast out the demons. All those things that we talked about in Luke four eighteen. that was what he did because he was the son of God acting under the anointing of the Father. Yes. But it says in Romans 8 that the creation cries out in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And that's plural. And that's because we are the sons of God. We are made the children of God. We are the sons of God. And the earth is waiting for us to realize who we are as sons of God, as daughters of God, as people filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of God, filled with the word of God, filled with the zeal of the Lord God Almighty for his name to be glorified and magnified and for the people in this world to be healed and to be set free and to be made whole again to be who they were created in the first place to be. This is what the Son of God does. This is who we are. We are sons and daughters of God. And the earth is waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to rise up in the power of God, in the might of God, in the zeal of God. And I want to put it this way. I think this might be where you're trying to go. That's okay. It's awesome. Um, let's take the word world out and let's, let's take the word creation out and let's say concord. Let's say concord. Concord waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed and to stand up and to walk with the Lord. Awesome. Is that not true? How many are sons and daughters of God? Do you know Concord is waiting for you to come forth as that? Just look at look at the the level of opioid addiction that's going on in our nation. Look at the look at the uh, well look at the the demonic oppression. Look at depression. Look at anxiety. We see it every day over at Genesis, don't we? People are calling us on the phone. My marriage is falling apart. I'm depressed. My my 16-year-old daughter is destroying the house, and I don't know what to do with her. My son, is he's going nuts, and I don't know what to do with him. He's causing problems. He won't go to school. I don't know what to do. See, people are needing what you have. But we have to rise to the occasion. We have to let the world know we know who we are in Him. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We possess the power of God within us because He has said so. It's not something we usurp. It's something He has so freely given to us. That's why we need Holy Spirit. So what happens? The devil does a big number on the churches. Oh, we don't want to talk about Holy Spirit because we might offend some people. Well, He's the answer. He's the reason we can be sons and daughters and take over this darkness and, re- and remove this darkness out of the lives of our children, our homes, our, our schools, whatever it might be. We pray for, 
for Maria last night, 206 children she has access to. God has opened a door for her to have access to 206 children in one, ele- in one middle school. He's given us the opportunity to go into Concord Middle School. See, those are open doors that God allows, but we, gotta, we can't go in there some little weak willy. We don't want to offend anybody now. Let's just talk about how good you look today. Now, we won't go in there and tell them how they can come out of this mess that they're in. They don't have to allow these generational curses. to. We have to do it with wisdom, right? Sometimes we go in undercover. Sometimes we have to go in you know, through the back door. You know what I'm saying? We don't go in there and hit them over the head with the Bible. We don't do that. We're, we have limitations. But you know what? Sometimes, and this came out so clearly last night in our prayer time, sometimes people just need to be told you have value. You have value. Lori exited a, group, a guy out of her group yesterday. And he wept because she told him he had value, that he had purpose in life. No one's ever told him this before. And there's many, many people walking the streets that you come in contact with that just need for you to look them in the eye and say, Hey, God has a plan for you. You were knit together with purpose. And you have dignity. And, you know, nobody has the right to assign any value to a human being other than what God has assigned to them. And God has assigned a lot of dignity and value to human beings, hasn't he? Well, the church is a major, major player in all of this. I so love the local church. You know, there's been movements trying to, well, we don't need the local church. We just need to go to house. I don't believe, I love the local church. If you go back and you look at New Testament history, you'll see they had local assemblies as well as home to home. And I believe in home to home as well. I believe in small groups and all of that. But God has done something special with the local church. When we come together, to recognize him. And, and so God has always had and always worked with blueprints. God has always worked with blueprints. We see when Noah built the ark, right? God gave him the plans. And Genesis 6.22 said Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to do. Noah had blueprints. What about Moses? Moses was given the plans for the tabernacle. In Exodus 25.9, it says, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings, so you shall make it. Time after time after time, God said, Do it exactly like I'm telling you. Now, let me tell you something. That word in, in the uh, Hebrew, that word represents something that is representative. That pattern represents something that's representative of something else. And where he said, This pattern that I'm giving you is really representative of something else. And the entire time, what God is saying is representative of something that is yet to come. It's the church. It was representative of the church that was to come. It's what something looks like in comparison to something else. He said, I'm giving you a pattern that's going to represent something that's going to be eternal. And that is his church. We see that there was a design given for feast days and and for the sacrifices. All the things that God did. He said, do them according to the way I've told you to do them. But you know, there was also a design given for his church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, right? I'm going to build my church. And we've talked about that over the last weeks. I'm not going to go back and reteach that lesson. But there is something more than just coming to church on Sunday morning, singing three songs, having your announcements, doing the offering, and everybody goes having a message and everybody. There's something more to being the church than just going through this, these motions on Sunday morning. But there has to be a plan and there has to be a blueprint in place. Back to that, that scripture in Ephesians chapter 3. The purpose of this is that through the church, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and principalities in the heavenly sphere. This is the purpose of the church. 
This is the purpose of the church. And let me tell you, as the church goes, so goes the nation. As the church goes, so goes the families. What did the Word of God tell us? The Word of God says that Jesus tells us that we're supposed to be what? Salt and light. Salt and light. And when we, what does salt do? We've talked about this. I'm not going to reteach this either. Salt preserves, right? And light scatters darkness. The church is supposed to be a preservation. The church is supposed to scatter away the darkness in the earth. And when the church is not doing that, we pay the price. We pay the, we pay it in our families. We pay it in our nation. We, we see it in our government. And so when it's not functioning as it should, the powers of darkness, sin, oppression, depression rules the earth and rules in our families. And we have created a bad culture with the best of intentions. We have created a bad culture with the best of intentions because we have not designed and operated the church as we should have. You say, well, good, I'm going to hear what we're supposed to be doing. I'm glad you asked me. I'm going to tell you. If we look at Ephesians chapter 4, see, when you don't have the plan in place, things break, don't they? We don't get the fruit that we're supposed to be getting when we don't build according to plan. You know, we had a garden one year, didn't we? One time. Now, I don't know why we built a garden, because I never cook, right? And we, we, we had a garden. We did get a fruit harvest, or whatever you call it. But, and we put all this stuff in the freezer, and three years later, I threw it away. Because I'm thinking, I'm never home to cook. I forgot it was in there. It was in a little room. But we had a certain plan we had to, we had to put in place. You know, we, we, had to, we had to do certain things to the soil, and we had to plant at a certain time, and we had to water it so often. But what would have happened had we not done that? We had a bumper crop of, of squash and tomatoes and all these other, because we did it according to plan. We did it according to what has, we know has worked best. But we haven't always done church that way because we've always compared ourselves to what somebody else thought it should look like. Here comes a guy along and he says, we don't really need to be teaching these, this stuff that the apostles taught 2,000 years ago because it's not relevant. So what do we see? It's like planting in the wrong season, never watering your crop. We're not really giving, fertilizing the plant. So what are we doing? We're giving a weakened down gospel and we're expecting things to, to change in our life and they don't do it. They won't do it. So we've done that with our church. In Ephesians chapter 4, we get the beautiful blueprint of what the church is supposed to look like. And it says, and he, meaning Jesus, which we can say God, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And for the purpose of what was his intention in doing this? For the perfecting or the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He said, in order to get the perfection of the saints, I'm giving you these gifts that the church needs. Now, how many times have we, how many churches have you been in where you really only heard of one title, and that's pastor? Most people that operate under that title really are something else anyway. Most of the time. But we don't know what else to call them. You know, and I've said it's kind of like building your house and you call everybody electrician. Well, I need a plumber. Well, let's go call the electrician. I need a contractor. I need somebody to pour my side. Let's go call the electrician. And that's what we've done with churches. We, we've, we've taken the pastoral gift, and the, which is extremely important. We've taken that pastoral mantle and we've, and we've tried to force the pastor to do everything else that really he's, you know, he's not a plumber. 
he's an electrician or he's, he is an electrician, he's not a plumber. So we put all this load and, and we create this sense of expectation that's not even possible and we overwork the pastors and we expect them to do everything in the body and they burn out. That's why we have, I think it was 1,500 churches closing every year and pastors leaving the ministry. They get burned out. They can't possibly do everything, but neither were they intended to do. But see, we set up this system, we set up this Christian culture that has established the church in a wrong pattern. Perfecting means to be completely equipped, prepare for training or by training, supplied, stocked, clothed, outfitted to be fully dressed for a specific purpose. So these gifts that God has given to the church are to equip you for a specific purpose. And it's not to come in on Sunday morning, listen to Olivia play music, listen to a message, slap each other on the back and say hallelujah and go out and nothing happened. Because you're going to meet people every day we will never meet. Maria's got 206 children that she is responsible for in her classroom. Don't you think she needs to be equipped to do the work of ministry? Doesn't she need to be supported in prayer? Doesn't she need to be held up? And any, any other, I mean, we all have things that we do. But if we're not equipping the saints, they run into these situations with these people. They have a, a situations in their family, and they don't know what to do with them. What am I going to do? My kid's acting like he's got a demon. I don't know what to do. I better call the pastor at 3 in the morning. Right? Does that sound familiar? And we're glad you call. Believe me, we're glad you call. We're not saying don't call. But what we want to do is you're going to meet so many more people than we will ever meet. And if we're going to expand the kingdom of God, the body has got to be about the Father's business. And the body has got to be doing what it is equipped to do. I was thinking about Charlene, what she said last night about the people she comes in contact. You come in contact with darkness, don't you, Charlene? Well, Charlene is one who is equipped, let me tell you. Demons probably say, I'm not even going there. I think Charlene's going to be on duty today. Scared to death of her. We better leave her alone, you know. Seriously. Because she knows her stuff. And she knows how to reckon. That's what we have to be as the body of Christ. That's what we have to be. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Let me tell you something. Every believer is to be equipped. Every believer is to be equipped. If you come to church and you think, I ain't supposed to be doing something, then you're misinformed. Every believer is supposed to be equipped to do, to do the work of ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. We get all messed up with hierarchy. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying the apostle's the king. He's saying first in order. Think of building your house. Well, who's the first person? You don't call the plumber before you've got the blueprints, right? You, 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 get, you call the, the architect, and then you, you get a contractor, and then you, you know, whatever, I don't even know what all you do. Then you, you start lining up these other people, right? You, so you don't get things out of order, but we do it in the church all the time. He says, the first person that's set forth in the church is that of the apostle. Second, the prophet. We're going to talk about what those mean. And then third, teachers. And then it goes on and talks about the various gifts that are in the body. Let me tell you, if you're a born-again believer, you are pre-qualified to be spiritually equipped. If you're born again, you're pre-qualified to be spiritually equipped. And you're also pre-qualified to be deployed. You're pre-qualified to be deployed for active works of service. See, I wanted my son to be a part of the military, but I didn't want him to be deployed. I just said, okay, it's okay to be in the army, 
I told him not to be using any weapons, and he didn't like that because he wanted to use weapons. So, you know, they don't listen to anything mamas say at all. So he started telling me about he was getting sniper training. And then he got deployed. Well, doesn't it make sense if you're going to be in the military, you're going to get deployed for something? Well, in the church, does it not make sense that we should be getting deployed for something? But what do we do? We just want to be a part of the church military, but we don't want to do anything. Don't y'all wish Pastor Zach was here giving you his message on the glory of God? Because the church is a place of spiritual government. See, this is the government of God. The church has to have the government in place. But it's also the place where we come and we get filled up on Sunday and we go out and we do the work that we're deployed to do. So the church should be an equipping center. I remember years ago, back in 2008 or 9 or something like that, a guy from California came. We had been, we'd been hearing that you're going to be an apostolic hub, and we didn't even know what a hap- apostolic anything was. You know, we, we, we read this in four, uh, Ephesians 4.11, didn't really understand it a whole lot, you know. And so we're thinking, well, that sounds cool. What is that? And then this guy comes from California. The Lord's telling me you're an apostolic hub. We said, good, tell us what that looks like. And you think about hub, and you got all these spokes going out, so we're supposed to be touching the community. We're supposed to be touching lives, not just coming in here and having these holy huddles on Sunday morning and everybody getting feeling warm and, and nice and going out, and nothing's changing in our life. We're to go out and we're to make changes. We're to be a place that gathers and celebrates God. We're to be a house of prayer. We're to be a platform for the voice of God. We're to be a training and resource center. We're supposed to be a place that you can receive personal ministry, as we did a minute ago. You're, we're a launching pad for apostolic teams. Apostolic means to be sent. That's one of the definitions. We're also to be a place of revelation knowledge, the prophet, the prophetic gifts flow, a place of impartation, confirmation, and activation. See, every one of you have gifts that have been imparted to you. They need to be activated. But, see, you may have been told you're not qualified to do this because you haven't been to Bible college. Let me tell you, the most anointed people have never been to Bible college. Right? Sometimes it takes you 40 years to get over going to Bible college. I'm telling you. But unless you go to a good one. Like Life Christian. We're starting Life Christian. That's a good one, right? Be a student of the Word yourself. It's a place for family ministry. It's a place for fellowship, but it's also a command center. See, I personally believe that all ministries should flow out of a local church somewhere because there's a thing about authority, and you can't really be an authority unless you've submitted to authority. And authority is, 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 you know, the world has messed up that word authority. So we see just a, just a little schematic of what the church government should look like. And, it's, and it has an apostolic head. What Paul would do is he would establish churches. And then he would assign elders or pastors, elders, to look over those churches. And then he would go and set up another church. And he would establish churches there and set up someone to oversee the church, to teach the church. And if you look at Ephesians 4.11, pastor-teacher is really the same person. But we split them apart. All pastors should be teachers. That doesn't mean you stand behind a pulpit necessarily, but what that means is you're able to, you're equipped to handle the Word of God effectively. Should be able to handle the Word of God effectively. And so then we see that the, the apostolic head is the one who casts the vision, has the anointing for authority. They also have ju- uh, jurisdiction over territories that have been assigned by God, but that is limited. That is limited. 
And then we see, and many times people will, you know, we have self-appointed apostles, of course, because that sounds good. And, you know, you get you get your little card, and you can write books, and you can do all this, and I'm apostle so-and-so, and, and you don't have any power, and you don't know the Word of God half the time, and so, you know what I'm saying. So we want to leave that alone. But there are those true apostolic gifts that operate. But then that that apostolic gift establishes the church with a plurality of leadership. And that's where the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers come together in place. So God has established a structure and order to bring about the purpose of the church. And if we're not following that structure, we're going to be weak. We're not going to have the fruit we need to have. And we're not going to be doing what we've been called to do. And so for 2,000 years or most of that time, not all of it, We've been out of order, out of design, and we haven't really become the church organism that we're supposed to be. And so what we do is we start measuring success by numbers rather than by fruit. We start measuring success by numbers and not by fruit. That was quiet. See, if you've only got a plumber, everything becomes a plumbing issue. Right? If you've only got a pastor, everything becomes a pastor issue. What do surgeons want to do? They want to cut, right? Pastors want to coddle. Pastors want, you know, pastors want to make sure everybody's happy. And that's what they're supposed to do. That's critically important. There's, I mean, let me say one thing. The fivefold ministry, there's no one that's more important than the other. They're all critically important. You know, they're all critically important. So we've been calling everyone pastor... When really their function and their role is beyond that. Or maybe we've called everyone pastor and not recognized, hey, we've got a plumber and we need an electrician now. We need a contractor. We need somebody to draw up the blueprints. We need somebody to cast the vision. So the function, I just want to go through very quickly these five-fold ministry. And I want you to look at the function and the grace that are on these gifts. Why am I going through all this? Because we're going to be the church God called us to be. We're going to change this community. We are going to change this. We are changing this community, by the way. Somebody told me again last week, you guys are the best kept secret in Concord. I happen to believe that. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there's a reason. But the function in the... And then I believe I got this out of Naomi Dowdy's book, Strength to Stand. She's an incredible, incredible woman of God. And uh, But I, these are just... Uh, let me just look at these briefly. And I, maybe it'll give you a little better idea of how these things are supposed to flow. See, personally... It'd be wonderful if we had all five of these operating in, in the local church. I think we should have all five of these operating. Now, the other thing about the apostolic churches, there's two types of apostolic churches. There's one that, that's primarily associated with planting churches. And then there's one that's primarily associated with making uh, supernatural change in the community. That's based on Joseph Matera's teaching. So you've got the, the church that's really very missional in organization, but then you have the church within itself that's very missional in making change in the local community. That's who we are as a church. That's who we are as a church. So the apostle. Apostles are builders of the church. So the grace on an apostle is to impart to the believer a heart to build the church of Jesus Christ. Not necessarily... 44 Cabarrus Avenue, but the, the full body of Christ, the full church. of We want to build the church of Jesus Christ. And apostles impart vision to the people. They're usually the ones that have the biggest panoramic vision. They can see the big picture usually. 
Apostles also want to correct what's wrong. You know, when I became pastor, I said, <laughs> I think I said to Ms. Ron, I don't feel like I'm a pastor. I don't, you know, I, don't, I just don't feel like I do that, you know, good. <laughs> so, you know, because, you know, my, you know my, the way I operate, as the Word says it, do it. And don't come back to me until you've done it. You know, and that's not necessarily always the best approach. And Barbara told me, Barbara Wintrouble said, you might need to get a pastor on staff. And so we did, right? Okay, so, but, but typically uh, the apostolic mantle likes to correct what's wrong. So immediately I start looking around and see what's wrong. I see things that are out of order. Not intentionally, just things that have kind of slipped through the cracks. You know, little things we may need to make tweaks and adjustments on. You know, like where the money is being spent. How do we make, make, make these corrections? The way the services are run. These kind of things. So that's, that's part of that apostolic gift. But you know, I did that in corporate America. So it didn't surprise me at all that I brought that same mindset into the church. That's the way I operated in corporate America. So your gift is going to be the same regardless of where you are. If you, how many love to study and read? I mean, anybody here like to do that? Then you probably have the gifting of the teacher. If you like to study and read. So what do you, you develop your gift. So the, um, also the apostolic or the apostle is the least understood because it's not just something we talk about a lot, right? So we've got to get out of this mindset. Then the prophet. The prophets are said in the body to produce a hunger for the voice of God. Now you can, you can have, you know, like Pastor Robbins, I'm convinced, was apostle pastor. You can carry more than, most people do carry more than one. My, I think my mantle is apostle teacher. And I, I love people. I love people. Uh, Terry's is definitely prophetic. Now, we're not saying operating in those offices. We're talking about the gifts that flow. But he's also apostolic because he's a builder. He's definitely not a pastor. <laughs> and he, he'll tell you he's not a teacher. But uh, the, the grace on the, on the prophet is to impart to the believer a hunger for the rhema word of God. And the, and the prophet will say to you, and many times teachers operate in the prophetic, and, and I believe they, I believe honestly we probably operate in many of these at one time. The teacher will begin to teach a message that they, the Holy Spirit has downloaded to. That's prophetic. That's prophetic teaching or intercession. Prophet, uh, prophets inspire people to seek God. They're seers, proclaimers, or visionaries. And prophets receive and communicate the mind and the will of God. Now, some scholars think that the apostle prophet is the same person in the Old Testament. And I think that could be true, but, you know, we'll just go with what Ephesians 4.11 is saying right now. The third is the teacher. So we're going in the order Paul said. Now, doesn't it make sense that you should get the vision first? He said first in church, the apostle, you have to get somebody to draw the blueprints. And then the prophet's going to hear the will of God. Okay, let's do it this way or let's do it this way. Not saying the apostle can't hear that too. And then we're going to have teachers. Somebody's got to teach the body. If pastors are going to have a really hard time working with the body if nobody's getting taught. Right? If nobody's getting taught the Word of God, pastors are going to have a hard time working with a body that's rebellious. But pastors are, well, let's just read, pastors. Or teachers are said in the body to instruct us in the Word of God, the grace on the teachers to impart a heart in the believer to make students of the Word of God. Teachers instruct people. Pastors are shepherds called to love and nurture God's people. The grace on the pastors to impart in the believer a love for God's people. Pastors build people. Pastors build people. They want people to walk right, think right, act right, because they are, they're kind of like moms and dads of the house. Pastors nurture, they tend, they feed, they comfort, they protect. 
Very, very important role. The evangelist focuses on the harvest and the loss, the grace and the evangelist to impart a heart in the unbeliever or in the believer for the lost and also a heart in the unbeliever for God. Evangelists find people. Evangelists are not satisfied unless they're telling somebody about the love of God, Jesus. See, evangelists go find them, bring them in, we're going to teach them, right? What's that saying? You know, you go catch the fish, bring them in, we'll clean them up, right? But evangelists may not necessarily want to be a teacher or want, they want to teach. That's been one of the biggest problems when, like Billy Graham, for example, he said, what was it, 50 million people came to his, came to the altar, but only about 7% of those were serving the Lord a year later. That wasn't his fault. He fulfilled his role, but see, the, the, the pastor and the teacher, those gifts were never implemented in the lives of the people. So as you go out and you witness to people, you need to say, you need to encourage people, where do you go to church? If they say, I go to church ABC, great. Get in there. Be faithful. Get the teaching. Talk to your pastor. Counsel with your pastor. Let them help you deal with the problems you're having. Get in there and do that. If you don't have a church, come. We're a good church. Come to us. We teach the word. So you need to encourage people that you meet on the job or wherever, wherever there might be to get that pastoral covering and that teaching in their lives. And so... Um, the words associated with evangelists might be things like the Great Commission or salvation or good news. So what happens when we, have, when we have a church that's properly aligned? What happens? It empowers others and it launches people into their destiny. Each of you have a God-given destiny. Every one of you have a God-given destiny. But unless you're properly seated in a properly aligned church you may not unless you're just really one of those that gets in there and digs it out which most of the body isn't unless you get in there and you really dig it out you may never walk in your destiny because in the body is where gifts are recognized in the body is where gifts are imparted and where gifts are activated in the body see this should be a safe place for you to express your gift should be a safe place. Now, don't come to me and say, I think I have a teaching gift. Can I preach next Sunday? That's not going to happen, okay? <laughs> but what we might say is, wow, that's wonderful. Come on Wednesday night, and then, you know, we'll just see how faithful you are. I had somebody that came and said, I have a teaching gift, but they never showed up for church unless they were teaching. And so we quit that, stopped that really quick. They did it initially, but then when they started using their gift, they never seemed to think it was important after that. See, so we kind of keep an eye on that. That's the other thing the apostolic mantle does and the pastoral mantle is it protects. It'll protect. So it empowers others and launches people into their destiny. Number two, and your destiny, you know what your destiny might be? Marketplace. Your destiny might be as a business person. Or your destiny might be in a hospital working in, in the medical, in your, whatever it might be. But see, if you get into the environment where there's the prophetic eye and the prophetic vision, Many times you can look and talk with a person. You can find out what their destiny might be. And many times people are walking in wrong destinies because it felt good or somebody encouraged them to do something that really wasn't what they were, should be doing. Amen? Number two, properly aligned churches function as pioneers and they blaze new trails. First time we ever met Barbara Wintrouble, we just went out there. She didn't know us from anybody. And she said, I need to pray over you two. And she said, you're called to be pioneers and you're called to, to transform the region. You're not just called to pastor a church. You're called to transform a region and to pioneer and a move of God. God wants to use you to pioneer a move of God. 
And you were thinking, pioneers, doesn't that mean you're cutting down bushes and you're, you know, you're doing all the hard work? And, and she, that's exactly right. You're, you're doing all the hard work for those that are going to follow. Let me tell you, that's an anointing you don't want to pray for, right? You don't want to pray for that anointing unless you're really sincere. So uh, it's for opening new territories to expand God's kingdom. That could be planting a church or it could just be going into the schools. We're going into the schools. We just got an opportunity to go. We're going into the jail in a couple of weeks with some therapy. See, God is opening doors and opportunities. We just got parents assigned for foster care program on Friday. We've been waiting for a few months. Sometimes it's slow. You know, some, we have to pray some things through. See, these are new opportunities that God is giving to us. I believe there's going to be many, many more. There's many that God is waiting on some of you to come around and say, wait a minute, I'm here. So, okay, God's going to open that door. He's going to open that door. Because we can't do everything, right? So new opportunities. Also, when churches are properly aligned, teaching and preaching in ways that bring spiritual understanding and the ability to stir up your gifts. So you should be taught and, and, you know, I believe teaching is, this is a teaching church, we know that. I believe the Word of God is, is what sets people free and the Word of God is what's going to keep you going in the right direction. It's the Word of God. That every, every answer to life is in the Word of God. Raising your children, marriage, finances, everything is in the Word of God. But if, if we don't want to teach you certain things because we are afraid we're going to offend you, you know, like you need to forgive or you need to walk in love. You need to grow up. I mean, whatever it might be, you've got to have somebody that loves you enough to tell you the truth. Tell me the truth. Amen. So we, also a church that's properly aligned will resolve conflicts and problems. They'll look for the bottom line to identify and resolve issues. We don't like drama. No drama. Let's just get to the bottom of what's going on here, right? What's the root cause of what's going on? What's the root cause of the problems I have in my life? Maybe it's still, I still have an unhealed trauma. Maybe it's a, I spent an hour on the phone with a lady from New York on uh, Wednesday. And she called because she had read a book and, and something about our church was in the book and about healing or something. I don't know what it was. But anyway, she said, I've got to find out about this church. And she said, I've been everywhere trying to get healed. And she gave me a whole laundry list of all her symptoms of stuff for years. I've been everywhere. I've been to Benny Hinn. I've been to Randy Clark. I've been to all these places for healing. I've been to, to well, I forgot she named them. She said, nothing has changed. And she said, I want to know what you can do for me. I said, come down here and spend two weeks. This is what we'll do. We're going to get your brain healed and we're going to get your body healed. Because we're, I said, tell me about unforgiveness. She said, well, I don't think I have any. And I started to tell, giving her sin. Oh, yeah, I do have that issue. Nobody's ever told me I needed to forgive to be healed. I said, well, I don't know why. It's in the Word of God. So she's probably going to come down and spend a couple of weeks. She's going to go home healed. I'm fully convinced if she does what we tell her to do. It's all based on the word, right? So we resolve this. We look for the root issues. We're not really just looking to continue the drama. And we also judge matters without being judgmental. So we don't, we don't devalue anyone. We judge a situation. We deal with it. We judge a situation. We deal with it. You know, just like I was telling you about the little thing that happened last week. I said, you know, I, I went home. I thought, I've got to process this. What really happened here? Because that's not who we are. And, uh, and of course, the Lord said, you need to communicate. And then he said, do you think somebody got up this morning and thought, I think I'm just going to get up and mess up the service today. But he does that, do they? I'm just going to get up and I'll see how bad I can make the service today. No. So there was some other issues. We had to deal with some of these things. So we judge a situation, but we're not judgmental. You know, it's nobody's fault. Nobody's trying to mess up. We, we look at the motivation of the heart. So that's what it looks like. So what do we need to do? Number one is we need to break away from the one gift only mentality. What does that look like? 
That looks like you can pray for people as well as I can pray for people. Right? Now, we're here to pray for you. But when you're out on on Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon and you run across someone that's needing prayer, don't say, I've got to get you to the pastor because you've got to get healed. No, you say, I'm going to lay hands on you because the body, the Word of God says that I can lay hands on the sick and they recover. Do you know that God loves you and He's concerned about your health and your wholeness? We need to understand this. Number two, we need to make evangelism more than about getting a decision for Christ, but about making a disciple for Christ. See, evangelism is not just how many, how many people can you get to bow your head and repeat after me. It's about are we making disciples? Are we teaching them how to be obedient to the Word of God? Number three, we have to shift from an inward focus to an outward focus. We shift from an inward focus to an outward focus. It's not just coming in here and getting all filled up. It's what what am I going to do with what I get today? How am I going to spread the good news? How am I going to spread the love of God? You heard a lot of testimonies this morning about the goodness of God, right? How am I going to share this with people? We need to become bold. And lastly, we need to build ministry teams inside the church to help equip others inside and outside of the church. You guys need to be on a ministry team of some kind, right? Everybody said yes, amen. That was, that was totally uh, non-forced, right? Everybody needs to be on some kind of... If it's nothing but praying, maybe all you can do... Well, that's not all you can do, but maybe that's all you're available for is to pray. Maybe your life circumstance or your life situation doesn't allow you to go out like you once did. But you know what? The most important thing that can be done is prayer. That's the most important thing that can be done is praying. Some of you can give financially. You're blessed to give financially. Others can't do that. That's a, that's a type of ministry. Giving is ministry. Working in the church, cleaning up, helping clean or do whatever. You know, we, we're getting ready to, we've got a punch list of things we need to do. That's service inside the church, you know, that would help save money, be used for outside the church. We, get, we came up with a need last night. We need a home for people who, don't ha- who are Amen. men who don't, can't find places to live because of records. We need a home for that. See, all it takes is money, and God has it all, right? All it takes is money and a heart to do it. We have the women's situation, to, you know, but we need, we need a place for men. We need a place for men. We also, um, the body has got to rise to the occasion if we're going to be the church that God called us to be. And not a one of you is disqualified. I don't care what you did before you came in here today. There's not a single person disqualified. And that's why we prayed earlier. I said, let's break off the labels that have been placed on you. And some of those labels are loser. Some of those labels are are dumb. You're not smart enough. Some of those labels are, well, look at your past. How would anybody ever have confidence in you? Every one of us have a past, right? Is there anybody that really wants everybody to examine your past? The secrets of your heart. So the goal of the church is to represent the kingdom of God in the earth. is to teach and impart the full word of God. To equip all believers to do the work of ministry. Recognizing the gifts of each one. It's to build and shape with biblical strategy. It's to deploy teams into the harvest field. And it's to disciple into the image of Christ. That's the function. That's the role or the goal of the church. So I hope by now you're not asking me why does this matter. I hope by now that's not the question. 
because we're supposed to do the same works that Jesus did. That's what he said. He said, the same works I do, you will do in greater works. He came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what we're called to do. Is the church representing Christ or have we created an insignificant, powerless culture with the best of intentions? What have we done? I want you to stand, if you will. You know, I really believe, I said this earlier, but I really believe all ministry should flow out of a a local church somewhere. I really believe that. I've had people come to me, especially early on, maybe the word gets around, they don't come as much as they used to. But they would come early on and they'd say, I want to bring my ministry to your church. And, you know, I'm so and brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And I've got this ministry. And I said, oh, that's great. Well, tell me more about it. Who, who, where, do you, where do you go to church? Well, I've just felt like God just hasn't had me to associate with any uh, ministry. And I just kind of, you know, just do my thing. And I said, well, you're not doing your thing here. You know, if you can't submit to authority under someone else. I, I, I don't value that ministry. And I've had those conversations with people. Everybody needs to belong somewhere. Everybody needs to be equipped. I get equipped every time I deliver a message to you guys. I get equipped listening to you. The thing Dan shared with me last night, that really spoke to my heart. And he shared some other things that were really powerful that the Lord had shown him in his study of the Word of God. Very powerful. So we have, we, we, we submit one to another. We love one another. We fellowship one with another. And we proclaim the Word of truth in all of this. So the church, I believe the church provides a blueprint for healing, deliverance, and equipping. And that's our goal here. I think we are a best-kept secret in Concord, but I'm not interested in competing with anybody. I've said that for 14 years. But what do we do? We'll look at somebody else. Let's do it this way. When God said, no, I told you to do it this way. And we've, we've done that. Well, maybe we need to do this. And God said, I didn't tell you to do it that way. God doesn't need another rubber stamp cookie cutter church. He needs a church that's going to answer the call of what the Word of God has to say. It takes people. It takes people. Still today, we have 80% of the people in our nation saying they'll check that Christian box. 80%. When in actuality, less than 10% are true born-again believers according to the Word of God. But see, we've we've been fed this culture. We've been fed this culture that if I look good and if I act right, everything's good. And so we come to church and we look good and we act good and we go home and we're having arguments with our family. There's domestic violence going on in the home. There's drug addiction. Pastors are having an affair. But we look good and we sound good. Do you think much is happening in the body of Christ with that? See, the true kingdom culture is that we're obedient to the Word of God, that we look like Christ, we act like Christ. That's true kingdom culture, kingdom Christianity. That's who we're going to be, right? How many is ready to mobilize? Anybody want to say, I'm ready to be deployed? So when I call you this week, or send out that email this week, you're going to say, I'm ready to go. You're going to do it? we got Wayne and Deborah that are, they, they I mean, let me tell you, God will speak to you. He may not speak to me before he speaks to you, but you know what? They came to me. God has spoken to them about a ministry for sex trafficked victims. But you know what he said? He said, we want to kind of flow under the church. You know, that's that's the way it should be. 
We're not their bosses. We're not telling them what to do. We're just praying for them. That's what it means to me. We're praying for them. If they get off and get weird and start teaching, Holy Spirit's not there anymore and all this, we're going to say, you need to find somewhere else. But see, right now what we're doing is we are just covering them in prayer. We're supporting them with our prayers and our love and anything else we can do if we can do it. So that's the ministry God has breathed into their heart. And God has breathed ministry into a lot of you that you've just been afraid to step out and move on. We've got lots of opportunities. Pastor Zach is going to be going into the schools probably in the next week or so. We need mentors for kids. If you're doing nothing else through the day, please let us know. We need mentors for kids. We've got the counseling program that's starting. There's information on the back. By the way, if you want to be a part of that counseling program, please meet me right up front after church. We're going to just briefly talk about it, okay? If that's of interest to you, there's information in the back. Some have already started, and some will start in, uh, next week. So it's a wonderful program. It's through the American Association of Christian Counseling. We have Life Christian University just moved in here. We're so excited to have them teaching people the word of truth. Get yourself equipped. It's a great ministry. It's a great, great Bible school. They teach God's word. So let's develop our gifts. You know, let's don't just expect to wave a magic wand and everything's wonderful, right? So how many say they want to be deployed? I'm not looking. Father, I thank you for everyone that's raising their hand, Father God. And Father God, I pray that you'll open opportunity for people. One-on-one, Lord. They don't have to be part of a a movement in a church. God, just one-on-one on their jobs. God, eight hours a day, they're talking and touching lives. And I pray, Father God, that you will just speak to hearts and lives today. God, there's prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and and apostles in this congregation today, God. We just pray, Father, that you would just activate those gifts. Let them see and understand, hey, maybe I'm this. You are that. God has given you great purpose and great vision and great intention. God, I just pray that every person comes to know the incredible understanding of what you've called them to be. So, Lord, we just bless you and praise you. I thank you, Father, for every person here. pray blessing upon every person here. Lord, we just give you praise and glory. Amen.